Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is in the room today. He is always with us, but sometimes he just wants to do something special. And I believe that this Sunday, even coming out of the restrictions, just marks a new season for the church. We are believing that this is marking a time. And friends, we had, we had an opportunity last summer where we came out of restrictions. But what I noticed, and I noticed this in myself too, that very quickly we began to go back into what we knew. We began to go back into the comfort and the doing church part. But we can't allow that to happen this time because we know what it's like to not be able to freely worship in the way that we would want to. So we need to know to take advantage, to to pursue God with everything that we have. We cannot let up in this season. We need to push forward because God wants to do a new thing in our world, in our region. We're believing for revival in our city in Moncton. Not for anything special for our city, but that Jesus would be glorified. That Jesus would be glorified in our midst. And you know, this message that I'm going to share today, it was put on my heart about a year ago. And I was reading my Bible, and I was struck with this for this generation that we are in. And originally, I preached this message for our youth and then our young adults because it very much ties in to the younger generation. But this is a message for the body of Christ in general, for our, our entire generation at this point in time in history. Because I believe that God wants us to be a John the Baptist generation. To prepare the way for what the Lord wants to do. Because for too long, and this was supposed to be later on in my sermon, but there was a study done by the Barna Group a little while ago. And it said that currently, Gen Z, there are double the amount of people who would claim atheism than the previous generation. So double the amount of people that would choose to reject God completely over the millennials, the Gen Xers, and actually almost triple the amount of the boomers. Church, we can't allow this trend to continue. We need our younger generation to rise up. And as the body, we need to support them. We need to uplift them. We need to pray for them. And we need to be the examples because God is going to move by his spirit. And we need every single person on board. This isn't a matter of the institution of the church. This is a priesthood of all believers who are going out and taking the gospel and discipling other believers because the harvest is going to be plentiful. And there's too many people for pastors alone to do the work. We need to equip, but it needs to be the entire body of Christ that goes out and disciples their neighbors and their friends and their co-workers. And every single person needs to know that Jesus is Lord, that he is king. Amen? That's my whole sermon. Bless you guys. You can have a seat. But I want to continue to unpack this a little bit. And as I said, the title of my message is a John the Baptist generation. Now, of course, to to really understand what John the Baptist did and what his mission was, we we actually have four different accounts. In each one of the Gospels, there is a, a description, an account of John the Baptist, and they differ a little bit. But the fact that they're in all four Gospels should tell us that his mission was very important. Now, I'm going to read the account from Mark, chapter 1, that gives us a bit of a description of who he was and what his calling was. Mark 1, starting at verse 1. 
It says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so right here, we're introduced to the mission of John the Baptist, that he would come and prepare the way for the Lord. And now as we look at some of the other accounts in the Gospels, we get a little bit more information about him, about John, about his family. In the book of Luke, it talks about his parents. We, we see that Elizabeth and Zechariah were his parents. They are from the lineage of Aaron, um, the lineage of priests, and Zechariah himself was a priest. We learn that Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So John the Baptist and Jesus are relatives. And we learn that, that early on, Elizabeth was actually barren. She couldn't bear a child. Now, Zechariah, as I said, he was a priest. He was in the temple one day, and an angel came to him and spoke to him and said that your wife is going to bear a child, and it's going to be a miracle. And it's interesting because there's many places in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, where we see this trend happen, where a barren woman is then miraculously able to give birth. And what we always see in those situations is that child has a specific and very unique mission that they're called to. So what was unique about his mission? Well, as we've said already and as we've learned from what we just read, that he was to be the messenger to go ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for him. And now, at this time, the people of Israel, they hadn't heard from a prophet of God for hundreds of years. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't religious activity. It doesn't mean that people didn't still believe God and follow God, but, but they hadn't heard God speak through one of the prophets of old for many, many, many years. But at this time when John comes in, there's this expectation within the people, an expectation for the Messiah that he would come and that he would save them. There was something that was stirred up in them that they were just, they were anticipating what was to come, and they didn't know what it was other than the Messiah was going to come. And I believe in a similar way, our time in history right now, there's a stirring inside of people. And I don't know if it's just to do with COVID and just to do with the stuff that's happened in the world. I'm sure that's part of it. But I believe that it's God that's stirring something in people that they're longing for their creator. We hear testimonies all the time here at the church of people who had just randomly reached out to somebody just expressing their desire to get back to church or to learn about God, to learn about Jesus. It's happening all the time right now. And, and maybe you're even here today because that's where you find yourself. Maybe the last little while there's been something that's just stirred in you and you don't even know why, you don't even understand it. And maybe you're here today for that very reason. And if you are, let me say that you're not alone because God is working not just in our area, I'm sure it's all over the world, but what we experience even here in our city is incredible of what God is stirring. 
And so John the Baptist steps on the scene in his prophetic calling to prepare the way for the Lord, and he preaches repentance. He preaches repentance for the, the forgiveness of our sins, and he, he baptizes. Now, at the time, they didn't understand the full effects of this baptism or the full um, symbology of it all, but, but they understood, or we understand now, sorry, that in baptism, when we go under the water, we are dead to our old self, and we are rising to new life, that it's because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so this is the message that John the Baptist is bringing forth. And I find it fascinating because in terms of where John chose to do his ministry, in the desert, baptizing on the east side of the Jordan River. Now, this was not the most ideal place for him to do his ministry. For one, it certainly didn't allow him to reach as many people as possible. It wasn't the ideal location for that. He could have chosen any street corner. He could have chosen any place inside the city where he could draw a big crowd and gather all the people in the masses and then preach his message. And even from a practical standpoint, it didn't make sense that he chose here to baptize because there wasn't a lot of water all year round at this place in the Jordan River. Uh, he could have chosen to to baptize in some of the lakes that were in the area. He could have even chosen a basin indoors in the city outside of the scorching heat. But he chose this location because it is tied to his prophetic calling. Hundreds and hundreds of years prior to that, in the same spot where John the Baptist comes to step on the scene to prepare the way for the Lord, in that same spot where he chose to baptize is where Joshua led the Israelites out of the wilderness, across the Jordan, and into the promised land. It's the same spot where Israel had been away from God, had turned from God, and as a result, were wandering in the desert, and then they come through and Joshua leads them into the promised land. It's powerful. In Luke chapter 1, we get this interaction, as I had already alluded to, where Zechariah, John's father, uh, is met with this angel. And the angel says this about John's life. He says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And listen to this. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And it's also fascinating because the language that the angel is using here is connected or alludes to the, the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament. The prophet Malachi had prophesied that hundreds of years later, he didn't say hundreds of years later, but we now know it, hundreds of years later, John the Baptist would come on the scene to prepare the way for the Lord. But what's also interesting in that time in Malachi and what he's actually addressing in his book is that the nation of Israel had begin, had begun to, to slip back into spiritual decline. They had begun to slip back away from God. They had just been restored back into Jerusalem after the exile, after they were in Babylonia for a while, and they were restored back into Jerusalem. But then they had anticipated that the Messiah was going to come right away. They thought the Messiah was coming, and, and as time went on, 
They started to get stir-crazy. They started to think that he wasn't coming. And as a result, they began to turn from God. They began to turn to idolatry, turn away from him. And that's the, the point in time when Malachi is prophesying about John the Baptist coming. Now, near the end of uh, this chapter, Luke chapter 1, Zechariah himself prophesies. And this is what he says over his son John. He says, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And listen to this. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by the rising sun we will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is what God says to him. I have called you to bring the knowledge of salvation to my people. That is the same calling that is on every one of our lives. And it's never changed. It's always been our calling as the body of Christ to bring the knowledge of salvation to everyone. But again, in this season where we're at, where we've seen this decline over the years, the generations beginning to fall further and further away from God, we need to step up and believe that this generation is going to be the one to turn those stats around, that we are going to bring the knowledge of salvation to people through the power of the Holy Spirit so that now the next generation will see the trend start to go upwards. Now, it's interesting that uh, all throughout biblical history and, and really history in general, there's always been this same trend. It's always been the same thing. And that's why when I read that stat from that study, like you can think that it's super discouraging, and, and it is in and of itself, but I know that God is so much bigger than that. And I know I've seen history, I've, I've seen biblical history of how they go and decline, but then the people humble themselves before the Lord, and he begins to bring them back into the promised land. He begins to bring them back to God. And I believe that that's the season that we're in right now. But again, if you look all throughout the Old Testament, we see that the history um, of the nation of Israel goes through this process over and over again. You think about Moses leading them out of captivity or out of oppression and slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea and, and starting the journey towards the Promised Land. But then what happens? They begin to turn on Moses. They begin to turn from God. They begin to worship idols. And as a result, they then wander in the wilderness for 40 years when it should have just been a quick trip. And then we see Joshua bring them across again the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And, and you look at David. David was a king after God's own heart. And during his time, he certainly wasn't a perfect man, but he was a, a guy that loved the Lord and wanted to follow him and be obedient. And the kingdom was blessed as a result. But then as his sons came in and their sons and the generations began to turn away from God, they began to worship false idols and began to compromise in their own lives to what eventually, of course, brings us to the Assyrian exile and the Babylonian exile where they're taken out of the promised land. Now, restoration kind of happens at this point when the, the Persian Empire takes over. Thankfully, there's some very godly people like Daniel and Nehemiah and Ezra who are honoring the Lord in the midst of all that, and they're able to go back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild but, but this wasn't even a full restoration. And as we just talked about in the book of Malachi, the people start to 
start to get antsy. They're, they're realizing the Messiah isn't coming right away. And so they start to fall away from God again. And that brings us up to the time of the Greek Empire. And this is fascinating. When the Greek Empire came into power, when Alexander the Great, we all know that name, essentially conquers the world before he died, he didn't just do that through military might. He, of course, won some great battles for sure, but people actually wanted to follow him. People actually wanted to become Greek. And so his influence, it wasn't just through, through, through power of the military, but it was that people wanted to, to follow him and wanted to become Greek. Now, of course, if you weren't born Greek, it didn't automatically make you Greek. So in order, in order to, to do that, people had to start being educated in the Greek systems, participate in their customs, participate in the Olympia and their athletic events and so on. And what happened is many Jewish parents wanted their children to have influence in the world. And this is very fascinating to where I find ourselves right now in society. They wanted their children to have influence in this world. And so what did they do? They started to compromise. They started to reject circumcision, which they were commanded in the Torah. They began to compromise on worshiping the one true God only and begin to be educated on the false gods of, of Greece. And bit by bit, they would fall away like that. And, and that's so relevant to where we find ourselves today. I mean, it doesn't seem so, it, it might seem a little bit more subtle in the day that we live, but how, how many of us know that even, uh, we're all guilty of this to a certain extent, that, that we can compromise things sometimes. That we can compromise our obedience to God for the sake of success and influence in the way that the world views it. So often. Now, of course, this brings us to the Roman Empire that takes over to where we find ourselves with John the Baptist when he, he comes on the scene. So with all this to be said, what is it that we need to do in order to turn the tide, to be the generation, to be the ones? Well, I'm just going to share a couple things from the life of John the Baptist. First, John the Baptist was consecrated. He was set apart. He was holy. He did not compromise. He didn't care what the world thought. He didn't care of the standards of the world. He was a guy out in the wilderness with all these crazy clothes, eating all these crazy things, but he didn't care what other people thought. He was so locked into the mission that God had called him to, he didn't care. He was set apart for God. And, and church, when we start looking like the world, we lose our influence in the world. Bottom line, when we start looking like the church, Christ's bride, that's when we begin to have heavenly influence in this world to actually see things change and actually see the stats start to change. And John the Baptist exemplified this in such a way. He was humble. He declared that though he was getting all this attention, he said, I'm not worthy. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who's to come after me. Yet in his humility, he was bold. He was bold. He was confident. He didn't care that the words that he spoke when they pierced people's hearts, he didn't care. All he cared about what God had called him to, and eventually it did cost him his life. But he was so focused in. He was bold and he was humble. I believe these two things, actually, 
and I've said this to, to some of the people that I, that I do ministry with, I believe these two characteristics, humility and boldness, when we have those two locked together, that will, that will do, that will give such impact. When we can be humble, yet we can pr- proclaim truth wholeheartedly. Like, if we're, if we're just bold and we don't have humility, then we're missing a big piece. And if we're humble, we still need to step out and proclaim the gospel and not be wavering in truth. We need to have both of these elements together. So I, I just encourage you, I try to do a check on this in my personal life all the time. Am I walking in humility, but am I also not wavering and proclaiming the truth as it should be? That's just a side note. I'm actually going to ask the worship team to come on up and join me. My intentions this morning is not necessarily a practical teaching, but my, my heart is that it would inspire something inside of us. My heart is that it would light a fire within us to realize that individually, we need to be on board with this. We need to be all in. Because if we're not all individually on board with this, the church is made up of individuals. So we all need to take hold of what God has called us to. So my desire for this morning is just that all of us would just be sparked and, and, and get out of our comfort zone and to just be ready to go forward with what God has for us. I, I 100% believe that as individuals, when we get this, and we don't just rely on the institution of the church to do the work, that that's when we will see churches filled once again. That we will see ch- churches popping up all over the place, the people that are hungry, because the everyday believer is on mission in their workplace, on mission in their neighborhoods, in sports activity, all over the place. When individuals grab a hold of this, so we all have a responsibility to be the ones in this generation to turn the tide. Amen? Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.